Bibles with me, if you would please, and turn to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, this morning we are in a series of messages that we are calling Promised Land. And we are taking a look at the book of Joshua and a kind of a journey through this book with this premise in mind, that the people of God are created to live in the promises of God. That the things that God has for us, the victory and the good things, the peace, the joy, the promises that we find in Scripture are things that God has for His people and that the people of God are created to live in the promises of God. And we have been tracking with Joshua and the children of Israel as they have been moving towards the promised land. Last week we watched as they crossed the Jordan River and uh, talked about victory in that sense. Next week is, is kind of the ultimate victory story when we get to Joshua chapter 6 and we look at the battle of Jericho, probably the most well-known story in this whole book. And I really do believe this, that there are things in in some of our lives that starting next week, God is, and if you know this story, starting next week, God is going to begin to break down some walls in some of your lives. I don't know if it's in your finances, I don't know if it's in relationships, if it's in your health, I don't know if it's, it's something to do with, with a season of depression or a season of opportunity, I don't know what it's going to be, but I really do believe that for some of you, we are going to see some spiritual breakthroughs happen in your life as a result of, of what God's Word says and shows to us. So I hope you'll be praying. I hope you'll be preparing your heart, especially over the course of this next week, for what God will want to do because God's Word changes our lives. Amen? And I love God's Word because it's so real. God's Word hits us right where we live. And even though sometimes we look at certain things and it might be a little awkward or uncomfortable for us, God's word just speaks the truth and walks through those things with us, even when they're things that are sometimes unique for us to talk about. I remember about 10 years ago, preaching a message when I was brand new as Calvary's pastor about 10 years ago, preaching a message from this chapter, Joshua chapter 5, and being kind of just awkwardly uncomfortable with the whole thing because if you've already looked at Joshua chapter 5 you can see if you have section headings in your scripture text you can see that today we're going to talk about the issues of circumcision and Passover and one of those is a little awkward it's not Passover this picture that you'll see on the screens is Ferdinand Magellan and Ferdinand Magellan was known for more than just his really cool hipster beard he's a good looking man isn't he Ferdinand Magellan, as you may know, in 1521, became the first person to, to, to go all the way around the planet. He was the first one to circumnavigate the globe. So that meant he went, in his lifetime, all the way around the planet Earth. That's a pretty notable accomplishment, isn't it? In any era of time. So that's why, in 1988, in a junior world history class at Chalker High School, my teacher, Mr. Cyril Ferlin, asked the class... Does anybody know what Mr. Magellan is best known for? Well, as it usually was in that class, do you think anybody raised their hands? No. You don't volunteer to answer a question from the teacher. You know it's a trap, right? You're not going to do that. So he looked out in the room, and he called on a young lady who was seated right in the center of the room, and he called her by name, and he repeated his question. He said, can you tell the class what Ferdinand Magellan is most known for? And I remember the look on her face because she knew that she knew the answer. There's a difference when you know the answer and when you get busted, right? She knew the answer. And so with great confidence, she looked up at Mr. Ferlin and she said, Ferdinand Magellan was the first person to circumcise the world. 
True story. Awkward moment. Snickers just filled the room in that moment. Mr. Furlan, who was one of the coolest cats I've ever known, looked right at her and he goes, no. Ferdinand Magellan was the first person to circumnavigate the globe. And if you do not know what circumcision is, your friend sitting next to you will tell you at the end of class. (laughs) Dilemma solved. If you're here this morning and you do not know what circumcision is, the person next to you will tell you at the end of service, okay? Because to us, slightly awkward thing to talk about. To the Israelites, not at all. Here's why. Because circumcision for them was more than just a physical act. It didn't just have to do with Jewish males. Circumcision was a mark of who they were. It was a part of their national heritage. In the same way that when we see the American flag and know that it represents who we are, in their history, this was more than just an act. Circumcision and Passover represented who they were as a people. And even more, it told the story of what God had done in calling them out to be his people. What's so interesting is that in Joshua chapter 5, as we come to these things, these are things that had been lost and forgotten in the process of their history. And so we're going to look at some things today that are going to help us, in a certain sense, to get back to the basics in our relationship with God. So let's start. Joshua chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Here's the story. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the uh, the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Do you remember the story last week where they crossed the Jordan? God gave them this miraculous opportunity to walk out of where they were right up to the front porch of the promised land. It was amazing. And when the bad guys saw it, when all these kings who were ruling in the promised land at this time saw what happened, listen to that language. It says that their hearts melted in fear. That's a pretty big deal. Two things about this, and here's what we're going to do today. Is it okay if we run a little bit today? We're going to cover a lot of ground. The the notes, if you're looking for the notes, they're available if you have the Bible app for your phone or your tablet. The notes are available there if you just go out to the live version. Um, You can get the notes online by by Wednesday each week. They're posted on our website. And I I just want to to push through some things today. And as we look at verse 1, there's two things I hope you'll see. The first is this, that before the Israelites even went into battle, God had already caused their enemies' hearts to melt in fear, which shows us this, that God has already prepared the way. If you're looking for victory in your life, God has already prepared the way. That's good news, isn't it? That he's already made the way before you. He's gone before you. He's setting the stage. And so the Israelites find themselves but that before the first battle cry is ever given, God has already prepared the way. So listen to this. They cross over in the promised land. Before they even get to Jericho, the people in Jericho are already butter in their hands. Their hearts have melted in fear. And if that's me, then the first thing I'm going to do is go, charge! Right? You strike while the iron's hot. You move when the opportunity is there. But that's not what God tells the Israelites to do. Because what's interesting about this story is not just that God has already prepared the way, but what he says to Joshua is this, that you must prepare yourself. You must prepare yourself. God may make victory ready for you, but you need to make sure 
that you're ready for victory. And so this is key in this whole story. That even though to the natural mind, it seemed like this was the perfect time for the Israelites to move forward, God said, hold on a minute. We've got to take care of business for a few moments first. And he calls the Israelites back to something very critical. He calls them back to the basics. Joshua chapter 5, verse 2. Look at what we read next. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gilbeath Harloth. Why was this so key? Why was this so important? Because it was more than just a physical act. This was God calling the Israelites back to basics. Before he could lead them into battle, before he could give them victory, there were some things that had to be taken care of. And this morning, I want to point to you some back to basics for spiritual victory. Today, we're going to talk about getting back to the basics for spiritual victory in our lives. Why is this necessary? Because it's really easy for you and me to get sidetracked. We can quickly lose sight of what is really important. We can become consumed with the things that are on the outside, the things that are in the peripheral. And sometimes we have to focus on what is most important and we have to get back to the basics because the fact is that it's back to the basics. It's at the basics of things. That's where victory is really won. Are there any college football fans in the room? Any of you here? Did you watch any games yesterday? It's an amazing day yesterday, and I read an article this morning that pointed out that there were numerous upsets, right? Five of the top ten teams in the coaches' poll had upsets happen to them yesterday. Maybe, so this, this commentator I read said, may have been one of the most historic days in college football in the terms of upsets. And I can't talk about all those games, but I do know this. Why is it that sometimes a, a clearly superior team loses to a team that's not as gifted or not as qualified? Sometimes it's just a matter that the, the, the other team outplays them. But oftentimes it's because that superior team hasn't mastered the basics. They lose sight of what really matters. And as a result, they lose the victory. These basics are critical in our lives. Here's what's fascinating to me about this story we're about to jump into. Moses led the Israelites for 40 years. You can read the Old Testament and arguably say that Moses was the greatest leader in the Old Testament. True? And yet the two things we talk about, Moses let them fall into disuse. They fell out of practice in Israel. Two of the most basic things, circumcision and Passover, fell into disuse during Moses' time. And before Israel can move forward, God says to them, you must get back to the basics. And I believe he's speaking the same thing to you and to me in our lives as we prepare for victory and what God wants to bring to us. So let me challenge you with this thought today in two ways. And I'm going to give them to you in the first person because as you hear them, as you write them down, I want you to think about these things for yourself. And so here's where we begin. First, I want to challenge you to think to yourself, I need to get back to the basics of my identity. I need to get back to the basics of my identity, of who I am. See, circumcision for the Jewish people was always about more than just a physical act. It, it was a mark of who they were. So listen to this. Joshua chapter 5, beginning with verse 4. God 
tells Joshua to circumcise the Israelites. And in verse 4, it says, Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. So that's that 40-year period between Egypt and the Promised Land. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they had left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Seven times in that passage of Scripture, from verse 1 to there at the end of verse 8, you see the word circumcision. Why is that such a big deal not because of the physical act but because it was expressing their identity as a people it was a covenantal promise between god and his people and it showed their identity it showed to all the nations that they were a people who belonged to god and this is key because at some point you have to recognize your identity let me say it in this way it was true for the israelites and it's true for you i belong to god You belong to God. That's our identity. That's who we are. And at some point, we have to see that and recognize that. It's it's where everything begins and is fundamental for us. I belong to God. My life is His. My purpose is His. Everything I have is in His hands. I belong to God. Now, if we'll grab hold of that, that's a wonderful thing. It's a great place for us to begin. Unfortunately for the Israelites... The years before this hadn't looked like that. See, for 430 years, they were slaves in Egypt. So their identity wasn't marked by God. Their identity was marked by captivity. It was marked by people telling them that they had no value. It was marked by their purpose being something that was controlled by others. It was slavery. It was captivity. And then when they finally get out of Egypt, they wander around for 40 years and they have no direction and they don't know where they're going. So they were slaves and they were wanderers. And as a result, their identity wasn't one of belonging to God. Their identity had been one of shame, right? It had been one that when they looked in the rearview mirror, they saw their baggage. They saw what people had said about them. They saw where they thought their lives had very little value. Now God says, look, I'm changing that for you. You're not a slave. You're not a captive. You're not a wanderer. You belong to me. Now this is critical to get because you've probably never been a slave in Egypt. And maybe you haven't wandered around for 40 years. But I'm going to guess there's things that when you look in the rearview mirror, you see shame. Those things that you did that you wish you hadn't. Those words that people said that have stuck in the back of your head that value that you think you don't have, that purpose that you think you can't find, there are these places and these things that no matter what our background, they stamp shame on top of us. That's where the Israelites were, and that's why circumcision was so critical to them in this moment, because after 40 years of wandering, after 430 years of being slaves, God says to them, that's not you anymore. It's not your shame anymore. Listen to this. Look at verse 9. Listen to what he says. Joshua chapter 5, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this is after the circumcision. He says, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Here's what God says. Joshua, your shame is gone. That reproach, 
I took it away. It's not there anymore. And for us, isn't that why Jesus died on the cross? Isn't that the value? Our identity is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Our value comes from this fact that he died for our sins, that he paid the price so that our sin and our shame could be taken away. And then he was resurrected. And as a result, because he rose again, you and I can have life. That's our identity, isn't it? Now, here's the deal. You know that. You've heard that. And what I want to do today is is drop three quick verses on you. Passages of scripture that I'm going to guarantee many of you in this room could quote better than I can. You know them better than I do. But it's good for me today to remind you of them. Because sometimes the most important thing we can do is be reminded of the things that we know. See, sometimes the things we are the most familiar with are the things we need to be the most reminded of. Sometimes the things we're most familiar with are the things we need to be the most reminded of because we can know them, but we don't live them or apply them. I've had two student drivers in my home in the last three years. Helped my prayer life. Good drivers, but at one point, they're in the driver's seat, I'm in the passenger seat, and I'm teaching them. So I'm reminding them things like, don't, go, don't do a rolling stop, Right? You need to slow down. Don't make me come over there and hit that brake, right? These kinds of things, which is which good. And my kids are great drivers. Here's what happens, though. When the tables are turned, at some point, I'm in the driver's seat. They're in the passenger seat. And on more than one occasion, I've had my children say to me, nice rolling stop, Dad. <laughs> Dad, is the turn signal not working? <laughs> they have their mother's gift of sarcasm that she got from me. <laughs> and sometimes... Even though you know it, you don't live it, but it's critically important. Sometimes the thing you're most familiar with is the thing you need to be the most reminded of. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That's a good word, isn't it? Here's what it tells me about your identity and my identity, that you are not what you used to be. You are not what you used to be. God has changed you. He has made you new. And so as a result, what you used to be is not what you are anymore. So on the one hand, you need to rejoice and live in that. On the other hand, there's probably some things in your life that should change. Maybe it's time to drop that sin. Maybe it's time to let go of that fear. Maybe it's time to change that attitude because you are not what you used to be. Here's a second one, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is my favorite For we are God's handiwork. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It says right there that God created you as his masterpiece. He made you with great value. And not only did he make you as his handiwork, but he did it before you were ever even born with a purpose in mind. So you know what that tells me? It tells me that you are not what others say you are. It doesn't matter what others have said about your value and whether you're attractive enough or smart enough or strong enough. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself and your own limitations. What God has said is that you have great value to me and you have a purpose, so you are not what others say you are. In fact, here's one more. 1 John 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Do you know what that verse says? It says you are an overcomer. 
that God has made you to be victorious. That he's made you not only to know him, but to know his purpose and to be successful in it. And for some of us, we are half-glass-empty people. And we see all the ways that we will be overcome instead of seeing the ways that God wants us to be an overcomer. And it may be time for us to change our thinking. That's why both circumcision and Passover was so important to the Israelites. Because they needed to be reminded of things that had become so familiar to them that they fell into disuse. They had pushed those things aside. And God says, before you're ready for victory, I've got to remind you of some of the things that are most important. Passover was critical for them in this moment. So watch what happens. Verse 10 of Joshua chapter 5. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. It had, been, it had been 39 years since they had had the Passover the last time. A year after they left Egypt, they celebrated it at Sinai, and then it fell into disuse. Was it important? You better believe it was. Listen to when God instituted it. Exodus chapter 12, verse 17 Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. So God says, look, remember this day. Go back to it because it commemorates the day that you became slaves no longer, that you were no longer in captivity. But when I showed up big time and I released you from that captivity, when I freed you from your shame. So God says, celebrate the Passover so you remember How many of you like Thanksgiving? I love it. I love it because of the food, right? But I also love it because it's good for me every year to stop and give thanks and remember what has happened to me in the past. This was critical for the Israelites. And they had gotten rid of that practice. They needed to get back to basics because it reminded them of their identity. It reminded them of who they were. Why this was so important is because they were about to go into battle. They were about to go into a situation where they were going to have to trust God for victory if the promises of God were going to move forward in their lives. And here's what Passover said to them. And here's what I want to say to you. That if I serve a God who can change the hearts of kings and control nature to set me free, then I know that I can trust him to bring me overcoming victory. See, that's what Passover said. If God could change Pharaoh's heart and if he could part the Red Sea, if he could change the hearts of kings and control nature in order to set them free, then we can trust God to give us overcoming victory in our lives. That's good to remember, isn't it? See, when we look in the rearview mirror, it's important for us to see what God has done for us, how he's removed our shame, how he set us free, how he gives us peace, how he's promised us purpose, how he said that through him we can be an overcomer. That's the point. That's what it's all about. And we cannot forget that that's the truth. See, the Israelites didn't have to do this act of circumcision. They didn't have to celebrate the Passover. They were on a roll. They had just seen themselves cross the Jordan. They could have gone right out into battle. And maybe they'd have been very effective and successful. But it was important for them before they found themselves at that point. Before they moved forward, they had to realize what had happened in the past. They had to acknowledge God and their identity in Him, that they belonged to Him. And before you move into victory in your life, I believe it's the very same thing listen to this before you go into something new remember what god has brought you out of before you go into something new remember what he brought you out of and that's key 
And Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation. I don't mean that in a way where you put yourself down. But isn't it right for us to give thanks to God for his salvation? To remember his forgiveness? To thank him for the purpose that he gives to your life? So before you go into something new, remember what God has brought you out of. Because otherwise, here's what's going to happen. You'll go rolling into something new, looking for victory, and relying completely on yourself. See, when I just move forward without looking back, I become very full of myself. I rely on myself. I forget what God has done in the past. Remember years ago, my, my mom, and this was after I had, had moved away from home, but I wasn't a homeowner yet. I didn't, I didn't get the whole idea of being a homeowner. And being a homeowner changes your perspective and your prayer life, right? If you've ever been there. So I remember talking to my mom on the phone, and she says, I have issues with my basement. And we had a friend who was a contractor, and she said, Harry's going to come over and look at it. And I'm like, all right, cool. Well, then she calls me back, and she says, Harry's going to fix the issues in my basement. And then she told me what the price tag was. And I'm thinking, Harry's taking you to the cleaners. Why? I've lived in that house. I've been in the basement. It's just fine. I don't get it. And then I remember being there when the work was being done. And this guy had dug a huge hole on the outside of the house, and he had knocked a hole in the wall in the house. You could stand in the basement, and you could look right up and see daylight. And I thought, this is crazy. Why are they doing this? Why are they messing so much with my mom's house? I was so full of myself that I could not grasp what was happening there. See, there was a critical issue with the foundation. And if it wasn't repaired, then the house was going to come crumbling in at some point, right? It had to be addressed. It had to be dealt with. But I didn't get that. I didn't see that. I thought, hey, everything seems fine. It's going to be okay. But at some point, that issue had to be addressed or there was going to be a critical consequence that would come as a result of that. I can't move forward without realizing what the foundation has been. I can't think I'm going to push towards victory if I don't realize that the foundation of that is what God has done for me. Does that make any sense? So this is critical. Before you move forward, you have to look back or you become full of yourself. And catch this, when you become full of yourself, you leave little room to be full of the Spirit. When you become full of yourself, you, you push out that room that God can take up. Because at some point, this soul ain't big enough for the both of us. And you've been there. And I've been there. These times when we get so full of ourselves, we, we push God out of the way. And I can tell you stories of how that's happened in my life. And you know that's been true of the person sitting next to you, right? When we get too full of ourselves, we leave very little room to be full of the Spirit. And this is key for us to recognize. This is why God said so clearly to the Israelites, you need to stop and celebrate the Passover because it reminds you of who I am. It reminds you of where you've come from. It gets you back to the basics of your identity. And when we fail to do that, we find ourselves in a devastating place. Think about this for a moment. Noah, let's, let's shine a spotlight on some of the Bible characters for a moment. You know that all of them were not success stories all the time. Noah, when he got drunk and sinned before God, had failed to recognize who God was. He'd forgotten about God in that moment. When David committed adultery, 
when Abraham lied to protect his skin, when Peter denied Jesus, and when you did that thing that you so regret now. It was all in those moments when you you forgot about God. You pushed him aside. And you failed to recognize him. Here's just the absolute truth that failure begins when we fail to recognize God. When we push him aside. That's why the Bible tells us so many times that we should fear the Lord. Not in a Halloween kind of sense. It's just kind of creepy and, oh, I'm scared. That fear is a healthy respect. It's recognizing who he is and his power and his strength in our lives. That's why Proverbs 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. So before the Israelites could go into Jericho, before they could become victorious in battle, God said to them, get back to the basics, circumcision, Passover, it reminds you who I am. It shows you what I've done. It clearly states that your identity is not found in yourself. It's not found in your own strength. It's in who God is, that you belong to God. And as a result, you're not what you were and you're not what other people said you were. You are an overcomer, but that's found in who he is. So he says, if you're gonna get back to the basics, get back to the basics of your identity. Let me give you a second thing this morning. What he's clearly saying here is that we need to get back to the basics. Back to the basics of my heart. Not just of my identity. But I challenge you to say to yourself, get back to the basics of my heart. What do you mean by that? Well, if your identity is who you are in your own mind and before others, then what happens in your heart dictates your relationship between you and God. And when God speaks of circumcision, so many times in Scripture, he speaks of it as a physical act, especially in the Old Testament. But that's not the concept that God wants us to see today in the New Testament. Look at this, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. So this is something different, not circumcision of the flesh, but circumcision of the heart. How does that affect us? Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, Stephen says, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So when our hearts are not right before God, we push the Spirit out. That's what we talked about, right? Being full of ourselves where there's no room for the Holy Spirit. So how does Paul define this? Look at this. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So now he's saying, look, something has to happen internally. Circumcision in your heart. It's where your heart has been changed. What does he mean? One last verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised, this is speaking of Jesus, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now look at that verse for a moment. It signifies the value of baptism. And what it, what it communicates, and we've already talked about that today, but it says that when you put aside yourself ruled by the flesh. There was a circumcision that happened in your heart. 
Let me give you a definition this morning. Circumcision of the heart is removing anything from your life that is not pleasing to God. So what's happening here is more than just a physical thing. This is a spiritual thing. There's a dynamic here that has to happen. And if you want to see God's victory in your life, I challenge you to get back to the basics and recognize this. The value of circumcision of your heart, which means you remove anything from your life that is not pleasing to God. And that's big. And that's difficult. And that's tough. Because so many times those are things that we've placed value in. And sometimes these can be big sins. And sometimes they can be little attitudes. But when the Spirit of God speaks to us, and we take a good look at our hearts, He calls us to circumcise our hearts, to put aside anything that is not pleasing to Him. Now why is that so, so difficult sometimes? Well, on the one hand, this whole concept's just painful, isn't it? I thought about telling a joke today, but I was afraid it was inappropriate, so I, I decided not to tell it. And it's a joke about these two boys who are in a hospital, and um, they're, they're both about to have surgery. And the one looks over at the other one and says, what are you in here for? And the little boy says, well, I'm having my tonsils out. And the first boy says, ah, oh, that's no big deal. I had that years ago. They put you to sleep. When you wake up, they give you jello and ice cream. It's a breeze. You'll do just fine. Don't be afraid. And everyone goes, well, hey, man, thanks. What, what are you in here for? And the little boy says, well, I'm here for circumcision. And the other little boy goes, whoa. He says, sorry, dude. I had that when I was born, and I couldn't walk for a year. <laughs> and then I decided, I don't know if that's appropriate, so I'm not going to tell it, right? Because I don't, I don't know if that's, it might be inappropriate. But here's the truth. This whole concept is painful. Including when you and I search our hearts. When we look and say, God, there are some things that I have placed tremendous value on that don't please you. I've spent time. I've spent resource. I've given away valuable real estate in my mind to things that are not pleasing to you. And it can be painful when we say, God, spiritually, do your surgery to change my heart. Not only is it painful, it's very vulnerable. It, put, it puts you in a place where before you and God, you, you have to be so honest with Him. But if you don't take time to find out what's really going on inside, the inevitable is this, that you're going to find yourself someplace that you really didn't want to be. I bought a new car a couple of weeks ago. Now, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dad who's got three teenagers, two of them have a driver's license, and one's in college. So I, I was looking for just a vehicle that would get me around. And so a friend of mine offered me the opportunity to buy a, a used vehicle. It was one that his daughter had been driving, and it was a really good deal. And just, just so, can I put it in context for you? This vehicle is, is something that I was really thankful for. It'll help me do what I need to do, but, but it doesn't even have a clicker. Does that make sense if you were here last week? You know what I'm talking about? Great, but it's perfect, right? It's perfect. So I'm, I'm driving it. Now, I just got the vehicle. I've had it long enough to have filled it up with gas and drive it to the point that, that Friday night, just a couple of days ago, Evan and I, my son Evan, had to be at an event, and I realized, hey, I've gone under a quarter tank. Not too much further, just about a quarter tank, maybe between that quarter and eighth, you know what it means, but before you get to the E, which means there's still enough. E means enough, right? But... Um, <laughs> 
but, but I was, it was right between there. And I'm like, well, I probably, I probably should fill this thing up. And so we're driving, we left the house, we're driving, and we're going to stop at the gas station on the way to where we are. And all of a sudden, as I'm driving, the whole thing just cuts out. It's got nothing. I don't have power steering, I don't have power brakes, and I already don't have power windows or, or power locks because it doesn't even have a clicker. But I mean, all of a sudden, I'm like, man, what am I going to do? So this is, this is the ironic part. As the vehicle's dying, the only place I can pull into is I can swing into a cemetery. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So now I'm with my dead car among the dead, and, and, and what, what do we do? And I start freaking out. I'm like, oh, man, what's this going to cost me? How's this going to play out? I don't know what's going on. Now, my friend knows the history of this vehicle, so I'm like, well, I'll just, I'm just, I'm just going to call him, and we get talking, and I'm, and I'm describing what's going on, and it never even crosses my mind because I'm between a quarter and an eighth of a tank of gas. I'm, I'm going to be okay. And he's like, I, I don't know, but what you're describing to me, it sounds like you ran out of gas. Well, yeah, It does but I, I, don't, I don't think I did. And he said, well, let me, let me call my daughter and see. So he calls his daughter, and here's the response. She says, yeah, sometimes the gas gauge is a little off. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, awesome, because most of my life, I'm a little off. So this is perfect. It's a perfect vehicle for me. Now I know you don't ever let this sucker get below a quarter tank of gas, Right? It's so critical that you know what's going on inside. That you understand what's happening. That you take time to do an evaluation, not just of who you are and your identity, but what's going on in your heart. So class, today your teacher has some homework for you. Take your Bibles and turn with me to to, to Psalm 139. And today I want to give you some homework for your heart. I'm going to challenge you this week in preparation for victory in your life that you will start each day or or finish each day, whatever is, is, is best in your routine and with your soul, that you'll take time and that you will not just read, but that you'll pray through this psalm. And this week, here's the challenge, every day this week, shouldn't take you more than five or ten minutes but that you will allow God's word to do some surgery on your heart. So let's take a moment and do it right now. And here's, here's what we're doing. We're, we're going to read this psalm in four different portions. And at the end of each segment, I want to give you just a couple of bullet points. Now, these, these thoughts are on, the, on the, the Bible app, or they'll be online here in a couple of days, or you can find them if you go to Calvary's Facebook page. They're already posted there. If you want to have this, this homework for your heart, it's there. Listen to what God's word says, and I want to challenge you to apply this to your life this week. Psalm 139 verse 1 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain to. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. If you take that passage of scripture and if you start there, it's going to help you to begin with a healthy fear of God. And you know what's so key about that? Then you can confront the fullness of yourself with the greatness of God so you can make more room to be full of the Spirit and you can acknowledge God's blessings in your life. Then watch where the psalmist goes next. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You know what's so powerful about those verses? It reminds me of my identity. It reminds me that I was made by God and I belong to Him. That I'm not what I used to be and I'm not what others say I am. That I am because He created me and He made me. I am an overcomer and that's good news, isn't it? What a great way to start your day. And then he says this, verse 19. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. It's pretty strong language, isn't it? If our kids said that, we would say to them, we don't talk like that. But David had real enemies. And he was speaking real words of truth because these were real life words that affected what was going on in him. And you might not have real enemies trying to take your life in the physical sense, but you do in the spiritual. You know that, right? There's an enemy of our soul. And those verses help me to recognize the conflict in my soul between God and the things of the world and to understand that there is an enemy that desires to destroy my soul. And he desires to destroy your soul. Which makes getting back to the basics all the more important. Verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That prayer will help you to make yourself spiritually vulnerable. And to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. To remove those things from your thoughts and speech and actions that aren't pleasing to God. And to ask God for his direction, blessing, and victory in your life. See, what I've just mapped out for you, hopefully you can use this week as some homework for your heart. But let's take a moment and do it right now. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Because I I want to invite you to invite God to shine a spotlight on your soul. And if there's places where you're wrestling with your identity you'd allow the Holy Spirit to remind you overcomer that you're not who you used to be and that you're not who people say you are but that you belong to God and in this moment as God searches our heart 
For some of us, it's a moment where we say, God, there's some surgery that needs to take place. There's things in my life that aren't pleasing to you. And Lord, I need to, I need to radically deal with them. And it's time to get back to the basics and Jesus to acknowledge you with my life and to make you the very heart of my worship. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come I'm longing just to bring something that's a worth that will bless your heart I'll bring song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my says that when scripture is applied to our lives that it's living and that it's active and that it does surgery on us and so Lord for some of us you are remaking our identities and for some of us you're refining our hearts and so Lord today I pray that you would help us to get back to the basics Lord of who you are and your, your work in our lives Lord, I know that you are preparing us for victory. And God would speak for all of us and say, Lord, that's what we want. And so, Lord, help us to prepare ourselves so that we can be ready to receive and be used of you. Lord, I pray this week that as we do this homework on our hearts, that your word each day would powerfully work in our lives so that we could be more like you and more ready to be used of you. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Don't let your dog eat your homework, okay? Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.